Fasten your seat belts as we start focusing on what really is the only hope that we have in this life. The only true focus of our life should be where we're going to be spending eternity. I don't know anybody who buys a house that does not inspect it. And yet there are so many Christians who do very little thinking about where they will spend eternity. And there are some people who accuse Christian believers that their belief in heaven is an escape mechanism. Now I want to respond to that very simply. I wouldn't argue with them. They are absolutely right. I, for one, (laughs) I want to escape the death and destruction that is coming upon the world. I, for one, I want to escape the horrors of the tribulation that is coming upon the world. I, for one, I'm glad that I'm going to escape hell and damnation. I am glad and I'm delighted that Jesus has provided a way of escape from hell and destruction for those who love him and love his appearing. For one, I'm looking forward to the place called heaven where I will be spending eternity. And there are those who uh, in the Christian church who say, you know, heaven is really a state of mind. Heaven is an abstract idea. Heaven is really a wishful thinking. It is some sort of a figure of speech. Now, to those pessimistic, miserable people, I want to say the following. (laughs) Jesus always spoke about heaven in terms of a locality, in terms of a geography, in terms of a place. And the word he uses in John chapter 14, the Greek word topos, means exactly that. It is a place, a location. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said he was ascended in front of 500 witnesses. He was ascended to heaven. He did not go to an abstract idea. He did not go to a wishful thinking. He did not go to a figure of speech. He went to a literal heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, When he taught his disciples to pray, what did he say to them? Pray likewise, our Father who art in an abstract idea. Our Father who is a figure of speech. Our Father who is in a wishful thinking. No. Our Father who is in heaven. And in John chapter 14, when the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, taught his disciples, he said to them, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Topos, a location, and there where I'll be, you'll be with me. He didn't say, I'm going to go and prepare something that is going to be a figure of speech. He said, no, I'm going to prepare a place. Imagine when Stephen was being martyred in the book of Acts, there being stoned to death, and just before he delivered his soul and died and being in the presence of the Lord, imagine him saying, oh, I see an abstract idea open and the Son of Man sitting on the right-hand side of God. Imagine that. Revelation 4, 1, John did not say, After I looked, behold, the door was open. And an abstract idea, which is a figure of speech, which is a state of mind, appeared. No, heaven is a place. It is a real place. There were real people. (laughs) They will have real bodies. And real life. And real joy. And real peace. And they will really worship the Lord. And there will be real angels. And that's where really my home is really in heaven. And I'm going there. Really. There. The Bible said that he who believes in the Son has eternal life. 
And you can never bury eternal life. One day this body is going to be buried in a tomb. But you can't bury my eternal life. All of the grave diggers in the world cannot dig a grave that is large enough or deep enough or wide enough or big enough to bury eternal life. All of the coffin makers in the world cannot make a coffin that is large enough or strong enough or secure enough to hold my eternal life. Because eternal life is mine because Jesus says so. Glory to God. Most preachers in the mainline church, they gave up preaching on heaven. And the few souls who really venture to say a thing or two about heaven, they speak about it in such abstract terms, in such confusing terms, that those who come to hear them leave out more in doubt than when they came in. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis, the great apologist. One Sunday, he went to a church where a young minister was preaching, a curate. And this young minister was preaching about eternal judgment. He was talking about heaven and hell. And here's how he described hell. He said, Now those who will not believe shall suffer grave eschatological ramifications. (laughs) After the service... This great man, C.S. Lewis, imagine being in a congregation. He just walked out. He shook his hand. He said, young man, did you mean to say hell? (laughs) He said, yes, sir. That's exactly what I meant. He said, then say so. Say so. Some simple person said, the way to heaven is short, easy, and simple. Out of self, into Christ, and into glory. You couldn't have it simpler than that. I don't know why people complicate it. I thank God I have a simple brain. Recognizing this simplicity, a famous American wrote his own epitaph before he died, and he wrote it as follows. Let me read it to you. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its content torn out, lies as food for the worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by its author. Glory to God. He knew the right thing. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I have eight things that I want to tell you about heaven. Angels are going to be in heaven. A couple of messages ago, we saw that your guardian angel is going to escort you when you close those eyes and bear it in the ground. Your soul is going to get into heaven and the angel is going to escort you there just like Lazarus in Luke 16. And there your angel is going to be with you. He's going to stay in heaven with you because after all, he's got to teach you how to worship. Most of us don't know how to worship. And the angels are going to teach us how to worship. So he's going to be there with us. In Revelation 22, we read that John, out of excitement, he got so excited when he saw all the glories of heaven that he went on his knees and he began to worship the angel who's taking him for that tour. And the angel pulled him out and rebuked him. And he said, I am a fellow servant. Get up, worship God alone. A couple of messages ago, I told you that worshiping of angel is an idolatry. And here is a confirmation of it. As we will worship the only one God, we will discover that that is the most important thing that we will do in heaven. But that's going to be number eight. I'm going to leave it all the way to the end. (laughs) I don't want to get excited too soon. And here are the eight things that you must know about heaven. First of all, there's going to be an uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord. Secondly, we shall rest from temptation. We shall rest from guilt. We shall rest from sin. We shall rest from spiritual warfare. 
Thirdly, we shall be engaged in joyful service to the living God. Fourthly, we shall have perfect and full knowledge of all that's going on. Fifthly, we shall live holy, righteous, and pure life in heaven. And number six, we shall experience the abundance of life. Seventh, we will be in constant glory. And lastly, we shall have and be in joyous worship as opposed to dead and deathly and dull worship. Get ready, we're all going to become Pentecostals. First of all, we will have an uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord. Someone asked D.L. Moody once, he said, what are your expectations of heaven? What are you going to be doing in heaven? He said, I'm going to spend the very first 1,000 years just looking at the face of Jesus. What an exciting thing it is to know that we're going to be with the Lord forever. You know what excites me about heaven? Not the pearly gate and the streets of gold, whatever they are. It doesn't matter really what their meaning is. They're going to be great and splendor. But that's not what excites me about heaven. What excites me about heaven is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see through glass darkly, but then face to face. I'm going to see the Lord face to face. I will be with Jesus and look at him face to face. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he said, I go and I'll prepare a place for you. And when in the fullness of time I have that place prepared for you, I'm going to come down, I'm going to take you, and you're going to be with me forever. Where I am, you're going to be with me. There was a little girl, three years of age, who went to live with the neighbors because her mother was ill. The idea was that as soon as her mother gets well, she will come back home. But what happened instead of the mother getting better, she died. And the neighbors kept the little girl until the funeral was over. And then when the little girl returned home, she went to the living room. She called out for her mommy. Her mommy was not there. She went to the kitchen looking for her mommy, but her mommy was not there. Then she went upstairs looking in the bedroom, calling out, mommy, mommy, but mommy was not there. And finally, the people explained to her what had happened and that her mother died. Well, then the little girl, in a child's innocence, she wanted to go back to the neighbor's house. Because, you see, home was not home without mommy. And it is in the same way. What makes heaven to be heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. Glory to God. Secondly, we shall rest from temptation and sin. The book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From henceforth, says the Spirit, that they will rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, there's some people who think that rest means that we're going to be idle in heaven. That might be the vision of the great society, but that's not what is going to happen in heaven. We're not going to be running around idle. Far from it. What we'll be resting from is the constant state of spiritual warfare. It's the constant state of fighting temptations. It's the constant state of striving with our flesh. It's the constant state of refusing to let the world mold us, squeeze us into its mold. What we will rest from is the state of dealing with troublesome people. We're going to have rest in heaven. Just as the Sabbath was set apart, so will eternity. Is set apart. You know, I want to tell you something about the Sabbath. I think that's one of the most misunderstood commandments. The Sabbath was not created for the golf course 
or the tennis court or the beach. And I'm not stepping on any toes here. But I want to explain to you biblically what the Sabbath meant. The Sabbath was set aside by God so that we can take our minds off the mundane and off the humdrum of life and focus on God. It is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Remember Jesus told the Pharisees who were talking about working and doing this and he he tried to explain to them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because God knew how forgetful we are and we'll get busy and we work hard and we will leave God out. And he's saying that is a time when you focus on God 24 hours of the week. Only God, His holiness, His majesty, His dominion, His power, His mercy, His grace. He is the only one who should be your focus. And in eternity, when the Bible talks about rest, that's exactly what will happen. We will spend all of our time focusing on God. We will spend our energy serving the living God. We will spend our mental capacities comprehending God, comprehending the love of God. Far from being idle, we will be busy in heaven. Just like the Sabbath is holy unto the Lord, so is all of eternity is going to be holy unto the Lord. It will be a restful holiness unto the Lord. We'll go from the secular to the sacred, from the humdrum to the holy, from the low to the high, and we're going to go from the mundane to the majestic all the time, not just one day a week. Which brings me to the third thing about heaven, and that is serving the Lord in heaven. He said we're going to serve the Lord absolutely. Revelation 22, 3. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and and His servants shall serve Him. That's what's going to happen. His servants shall serve Him. And the Greek word here indicates that there's going to be joyful service. There's going to be enthusiastic service. There's going to be voluntary service. It's going to be a service of joy unto the Lord. Whatever that service is, is not going to be a chore. Is not going to be burdensome. Is not going to be accompanied with fatigue. It's going to be a service of joyous gratitude to God for redeeming us, for saving us, for getting us to heaven from the first place. It's going to be a joyous service of a heart that is thankful to God. It will be a joyous service because in it we will find our ultimate fulfillment. The Bible gives us an indication about what kind of service this is going to be. And it includes reigning with God, ruling with God. Have you thought about this? <laughs> Are we going to rule with God? Don't get too excited because I find it hard to keep you down. <laughs> in Revelation 20 and then again in Revelation 4, it tells us that we shall rule with Him. Listen to what Jesus said to the faithful laborer in Matthew 25. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I will make you ruler over all things. Listen to me. Whether it is a dollar or ten trillion dollars, it doesn't make any difference because God owns it all. It is how faithful you are with what God has given you. Let me ask you this. Will these words be said of you? Will these words be said of you? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Fourthly, we will have full knowledge. Paul said, now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as I'm also known. I'm thankful that I'm going to have full knowledge in heaven. (laughs) 
Now I don't understand and and I don't know why diseases and war and, and sufferings occur. But there I shall understand it all. Here I don't know why earthquakes and hurricanes and cancer happen. But there I shall understand it. I shall see things as clearly because I will see them from God's perspective. That there will be no need for me to even ask questions. I will understand justice from God's vantage point. And I will be satisfied. I will see providence from God's vantage point, from His point of view, that I will have no reason to ask. People often say to me, how will we react when some of that we know, the people we know, while we are in heaven, and they are in the abyss, suffering eternally? I can only have one answer, and that's this. Because we'll be able to see things from God's perspective, will be thinking God's thoughts after him. I don't believe for a moment that any of us is going to look to God in the face and say, God, you have not given me a fair shake. No one will be able to tell God, especially those who have rejected him. They cannot in the final day say, God, you have not been fair to me because we will see God and have his thoughts. Fifthly, in heaven... It will be a life of righteousness, a life of holiness. It was Cardinal Newman who once said that heaven would be hell for the ungodly. Listen to that again. Heaven would be hell for the ungodly. Think about it. The unregenerated mind, the unregenerated heart could not stand because of their sin and rebellion nature. They could not stand being in the atmosphere of purity, in the atmosphere of holiness, and the atmosphere of righteousness. Not for a second, because it's totally alien to their nature. Revelation 21, 27 said, Nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination of falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? In ancient China, they used to have two Sets of books. When a man is tried and found innocent, they would write his name down in the book of life. When another man is tried and found guilty, his name would be written in the book of death. And I want to tell you that's exactly the same in heaven. If you have washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb, symbolism of receiving the death of Christ on the cross as payment of your penalty and mine, If you have been cleansed from sin, if you have lived this life with an aversion to sin, with hatred to the sin nature, if you have longed for righteousness, if you have longed for purity, if you have longed for holiness, then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, those who reject His salvation, those who have rejected His moral demands, and those who have rejected the gift of eternal life, their name is written in the book of death. You cannot be in both books at the same time. And I don't care how many years have you been a churchman or churchwoman. Your name in a church roll does not mean that your name is in the book of life. Your name will get in the book of life when you decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to Him as the Savior and Lord of your life. Sixthly, in heaven we shall live in abundance. Look at Revelation 21.6 says. To the thirsty I will give water without price. 
from the fountain of the water of life. You know the great thing about heaven? Heaven is a city. will have no cemeteries. For there shall be no dying there. Heaven is a city without tears. For there God shall wipe away our tears. Heaven is a city without pain. Heaven is a city without sorrow. Heaven is a city without sickness. And there the Bible shows us clearly. In the first two chapters of the Bible... To show us what God created for man. God's original intention of a heaven-like atmosphere for man to live in. But man rebelled. And therefore we see in the last two chapters of the book. The last two chapters of the Bible. There God's restoration for that original and even better state. For those who repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The seventh thing about heaven that you must know. Is that it is a place of continuous glory. When the Apostle Paul looked forward to heaven, and I want to tell you, if you do not spend any time looking to heaven, there's something wrong with your faith. Did you hear me? There's something wrong with your faith if you spend no time at all thinking about heaven. The Apostle Paul was not in a nice, heated, and air-conditioned room like we have here. In fact, in Ephesus, he used to go out and rent the only hall that he needed to have to preach the gospel. And the philosophers hired it first thing in the morning and late at night at the cool of the day. The only time he could get it was in the middle of the day in the heat when everybody else was resting. The apostle Paul got lashes on his back. He got stoned so many times. He was persecuted by the Romans. He was persecuted by the Jews. He was hated by even Christians who accused him falsely. As he would focus on heaven and think of heaven and compare it with where he was, he could say in 2 Corinthians 4, For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All of the afflictions. And I know some of you think you really have it hard. You haven't had it hard until you know how others really have it hard. All of the afflictions that you experience in all of your life is considered to be a featherweight in comparison to the tons and tons and tons of blessings and glory that are awaiting us. What does the word glory mean? Well, the word glory primarily means, or is used here, of the revelation of the character of God and the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, what the scripture is saying is that for the believers, when we get to heaven, we're going to experience the glory of God, which means what? It means that we will experience the character of God and the presence of God in us. The character of God and the presence of God will be so revealed in us that it will transform us completely. Paul said to the Colossians in 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, you shall appear also with him in glory. You know what the bottom line is? The bottom line is this. There will be nothing that God has that he will not share with us. <laughs> you all enthusiastic. God bless you. <laughs> I'm about to fly out of here. Nothing. That God has. He's not going to share with you. (laughs) He'll share with me. (laughs) Oh, what a privileged people we are. And we just forget it. You forget it very often. 
And we allow this world to muddle us and get us into the muck and the wreck. Well, I come to number eight. In heaven is going to be a constant worship. Please, whenever you think of worship in heaven, do not think or even be tempted to think or even be tempted to equate it with the 11 o'clock church service in the West. Please don't. Lloyd-Jones of London, one of the most prominent citizens of that country, one day confessed to Lord Riddle. And I want to read to you what he said. He said, when I was a young man, the thought of heaven was more frightening to me than the thought of hell. (laughs) That's quite a statement, isn't it? He said, I pictured heaven as a place where time would be a perpetual Sundays, with perpetual 11 a.m. services, from which there is no escape. (laughs) He said, it was such a horrible nightmare that it made me an atheist for 10 years. (laughs) But far from it. Far from it. The book of Revelation gives us a picture of exuberance, a picture of excitement, a picture of unspeakable joy as we worship the Lord in heaven. Listen to what John said. He said, I heard a great voice of multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Our praises to God in heaven is going to be focused and is going to be centered around the worthiness of the Lord Jesus Christ to open the seven sealed books. I can imagine sometimes, and I do let my imagination run wild. I imagine sometimes all the believers of all ages, the believers, the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament, together with myriads of magnificent looking angels and all together with the musicians and the trumpeters and harps and all the instruments right there in the middle of it all, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can imagine Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Abraham and David and Paul and John and James all on their faces worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And there when the blast of the trumpet sounds, it's going to shake the very foundation of hell and Satan and his demons will tremble. I imagine sometimes the shouts of hallelujah and amen and the crescendo of the heavenly singers. I can imagine how in heaven the Jewish believer and the Arab believer are going to be locking hands and arm in arm in adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see the black believer and the white believers holding arms, embracing each other as they're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I can imagine the Pakistani believer and the Indian believer standing there holding hands as they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I try to imagine the Koreans and the Japanese, the believers of both nations will be holding hands together, united in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a day. What a day that shall be. Are you going to heaven? Not without Jesus you want. I pray that today, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ to do so, here's what John said. He said, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, from every nation and every tribe, from every people and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Did you hear that? Loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, blessings, glory, wisdom, and thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.